Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Neighborhood Watch. I am your host, Josh Neighbors. Joining us, my friend, former colleague from SiriusXM, also of CBS Sports HQ, and you can find his work at cbssports.com. It is Barrett Salee. Barrett, long time no talk. It's uh, it's nice to see you again. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about college football news because to me, like growing up, I think about news, think about college football, like it's the sports going to the game. And I think about all the stories we've had in the last 24 hours, especially I know you posted something yesterday about, you know, the Senators, Tommy Tupperville talking about NIL. We had Big 12 Mexico announced, which is, you know, obviously <laughs> a big marketing, you know, mostly marketing campaign. Uh, and then also, you know, we have this, this whole Pac-12 situation where everybody's now becoming an expert on how television contracts work. And it's, it's just strange to cover the sport. And it just feels like we're more detached from ever from the actual football on the field when it comes to college football. Yeah. Do you feel like that sometimes? You kind of take a step back and be like, wow. We don't talk about like position group previews, things like that anymore. It feels like during the summer. Well, yeah, I mean, to an extent, but this is kind of legislation season. You know, spring meetings have come and gone. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, the week after that's when the SEC has has spring meetings. So, you know, generally speaking, this time of year, I'm accustomed to that. Uh, This is kind of. I guess it's kind of widened in terms of how long that window actually is. And at the same time, now you're asking me a theory and I just had a theory pop in my head because we have nothing else to talk about because of the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, I remember, you know, I'm sure you remember too, you know, just five years ago, like before Memorial day was when Phil Steele came out and Athlon came out right. and Lindy's came out and, and now they can't do that. Th- those magazines can't do that because of the transfer portal. So uh, now I know that Phil Steele's is just now going to print. I did see an Athlon at the Walgreens shelf. I don't know how accurate that could be. Uh, but, you know, I think there's there's nothing to talk about yet because we're still sort of decompressing from the transfer portal. So uh, I think combine all of that. And, and yeah, this is it's a little different world. I don't necessarily think it's going to change. And, and I don't necessarily think it's going to ba- be a bad thing because w- we do need to focus on these things, obviously, with Saban up in uh up at washington and greg sankey and the rest of those guys um you know nil is a big deal that's just the way things just naturally you know sort of work themselves out uh but you know i think with with all that's going on from a legislative perspective um you know around college athletics in general yeah this is going to be a little different you're going to get more of it right now and at the same time you have less to talk about from a from a, from a team perspective, because not only are we just now finding out who's going where, in some cases, we still have players outside uh, of the transfer portal trying to trying to get back into the game somehow. So it, it is a weird time, that's for sure. So the the, the Pac-12, Big 12 stuff, we, we've covered it a ton on here, but I think the one thing that I keep coming back to is, to me, it feels like it's, it, is, it is the next step in shaping whatever modern college sports looks like, especially football, because – if it collapses, like you're going to have further consolidation of these conferences. And if it stays alive, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny because I cover the Big 12 and a lot of folks who watch the show kind of want the Pac-12 to crumble. But there's almost a small part <laughs> of you that wants to like quietly fist pump and be like, 
we still have a little bit of of what this sport you know was and is and there's a bit of regionality left but it does feel like this is kind of the defining like this is either going to perpetuate the consolidation of conferences or it's going to kind of I guess hold off maybe what feels like the inevitable. How do you feel about, you know, how do you feel about this, this story and kind of what does it actually represent at the end of the day? Well, you know, the big 12 and Pac 12 are now tied at the hip, right? You know, because of not only the big 12 expansion, but also further expansion that could happen, uh, could happen. Well, while we're recording this, I mean, that's how inevitable it seems, but you know, I, I think let's just say the big 12 expands more, which it probably will. The Pac 12 is going to be stuck with Washington and Oregon. And then, who else, you know, Cal, Stanford, whatever. Um, is that a bad thing for those schools? Well, yeah, on one hand, because there is a, you know, you're, you're clearly below the big four. You're basically an AAC on steroids or the West coast version of the AAC, which I mean, look, it, it's fine. That's still a competitive league. You're not going to get the money. Um, but I think the news that the PAC 12 has agreed to an equal share, but also, uh, a merit-based uh, bonus, if you will, for teams that succeed specifically in, in the football world and men's basketball world, you sort of combine that and look at how the new Pac-12, assuming the Big 12 raids the Pac-12, it's still going to be really easy to get to the college football playoff. Top six conference champions make it. Is there a scenario in which a Pac-12 team is not one of the top six conference champions? Mm -hmm. Maybe. But that the idea that Washington and Oregon are going to be three lost teams, that's unlikely, right? So I think from those schools' perspective, yeah, you're making less on the front end. You might make more on the back end if you're successful consistently on the football field and in the basketball realm. So it's not an ideal situation for the Pac-12 if the Big 12 raids it. I don't necessarily think it's as damaging as others think it is for the Pac-12 right. because they can go add – you know, San Diego State, SMU, Boise, like whatever, like those are solid programs, solid athletic departments uh, that I think would still draw eyeballs. Now, if I were the Pac-12, I would have been more aggressive a long time ago, um, even dating back to remember the Pac-16 when Texas, Texas A&M and the rest of that Big 12 crew uh, was looking at going to the Pac-12. Maybe they should have been more aggressive then. That was a decade and change ago, so there's not much you can do about that now, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be the death knell if the Big 12 raids the Pac-12, which I do think will happen sooner rather than later. Because, like I said, if it's a merit-based formula for revenue, the Pac-12 is going to have a team in the college football playoff, maybe even two, right? For several times, pretty much every year. Yeah, I, they're going to get at least one. I mean, because you think about it, it's like four. If we have four major conferences, it's still six autos, right? So there are two other leagues right. that have to, you know have to have to satisfy the, the criteria. It is ironic, right? It, the stage where it seems like we're going to be, we're, well, we are expanding the CFP. We are expanding auto bids is at the same time when conferences are actually consolidating more. Uh, yeah, it's, right? it's very kind of strange how that actually, how, that, how it's happened. I want to focus on the, so the actual playoff itself, because uh, I was still, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I was still at serious. We went through the TCUs. I guess we could call it an ordeal with what happened to Georgia, right? That's, uh, you know, pick, pick your awful term or whatever it is for it. But the gap there is, and there is a gap, obviously it's not like every, every big 12 school is behind every sec school. I mean, Kansas state beat the living hell out of my Missouri tigers this year. Right. So it's not every <laughs> single school that the sec has above everybody else, but we did see Kansas state get thumped by Alabama and we did see Georgia wipe the floor of TCU. 
And so the one way that I think I always say, okay, can you come, can you be competitive? The Clemson, Clemson, right? Clemson is like the, the model that is not in a, it's in a football rich area, but not a football, not like the, not a Florida. It's not, you know, it's not like nestled right. all the way in the South, like in Alabama, Louisiana, to that extent, I guess you could say, or Georgia. Um, although it's right next to it. I mean, it's, it was a good school that had to do a lot of losing before they could do a lot of winning. Um, and they pumped a ton of money into it, obviously too. And they worked, yep. you know, things worked out with coordinators and coaching and whatnot, but it's so much that has to go right. So like, is it a Clemson model for, for big 12 schools to catch up? Like what, what are the factors assuming that the money difference is going to be there? Because I think it's pretty much guaranteed at this point, there is going to be a pretty big financial difference. Well, it has to differentiate itself. And, and I don't know if it, it can now because the SEC uses a lot of big 12 principles, big 12 principles from back in the Arp Riles days. Right. Um, so it has to find a way to differentiate itself. And that's almost impossible in sort of today's world because the problem that the Big 12 footprint has is that they don't have the 6'5", 330-pound offensive linemen that have feet like ballerinas. Like those don't exist for whatever reason in, in Big 12 country. You know, there are some, but you go around to every high school in Atlanta uh, or at least every halfway decent football play in high school, you find those guys. Like they are there. Uh, so – if you don't, if you can't recruit in the SEC footprint on the line of scrimmage, then you have to find a different way to be successful. It's, I don't necessarily know if there's a way to do that. So it, it, do you go old school and, and go triple option? No, you can't do that. But I think a good way to, to, to look at it is what Georgia Southern did with Willie Fritz, what, Navy was doing with Ken Nui Matalolo, what Jeff Munkin was doing at Army. You know, the last couple of years, those aren't triple option teams. Those are out of the spread, tr triple option based, but they throw it 10, 12, 15 times a game. Maybe that's how you do it. Because if you're at a competitive disadvantage, you have to even the playing field a little bit. Uh, but I think the Big 12 is not going to be able to hang with the SEC, the Big 10, the top two, and then maybe the Clemson's Florida States of the world because – you know, if, if it's getting raided from its teams and, and Texas and Oklahoma, obviously, you know, last year wasn't that great, but we've seen Oklahoma, what it can do in Texas, you know, it's Texas, whatever. Um, yeah. But you you can't if you're not going to have that kind of talent, it's going to be really hard to be successful. So got to be unique. Uh, I don't necessarily know how you go about doing that. And until they right. figure it out, it's going to be a second tier conference behind the big two. It's like, it, it is the question you can't answer, right? And every single time I try to answer, I'm, I'm like, I really don't know. But it, it's so funny because, and, and a lot of this stuff's matchup dependent, right? But so Ohio State goes blow for blow with Georgia. I mean, they, you can make an argument that probably should have won the game, right? But they can't, yeah. the, the, the latest version of Michigan, they cannot beat that team. That team is so much tougher than, like you mentioned, in the trenches. And then TCU goes up against Michigan and they'd never trailed in that game. And they were able to neutralize that advantage. Yeah. But then, you know, the next matchup was Georgia and they were not able to do it. So it's, it's very odd, right? Cause it's like, okay, you can beat Michigan who's beating Ohio state, but what Michigan does is a little bit different than, you know, what the other kind of top schools are doing at this point in time. And so, yeah, it does get to the, like, what is, is there something schematic that everybody's going to have to do? You know, what, what is the, what is the four corners version of college football that you can find a way to do, try and do it. And then with the CFP, I think this is the part that people are kind of missing. Uh, TCU last year, would have not had not had a buy because they lost their their conference championship game. 
So you would have to ask a TCU yep. to win the round of 12, round of eight, round of four, just to get to a championship. They would have to win three playoff games. They'd have to beat an Alabama, a Clemson, a Michigan in succession, just to potentially get the Georgia matchup. So, you know, I, I know you don't like the expansion. I like it just because I, I think it's cool that Tulsa, <laughs> you could pitch a kid who's wants to go to Tulsa. Hey, you could play the CFP, which I like the fact that it's actually true, but whatever. Um, but it's going to be hard. We're going to get the same teams winning. Like, I don't think anybody, anybody thinks differently. You know, that's not what's going to happen here. It's going to be the same teams because it's now harder to even get to the final four and the championship. Yeah, it is. And and I think, yeah, you're going to get the same teams. Let's look at the last two years, though. Cincinnati ran the table. The chips fell were the, in the right spots, and they got in. I mean, and they deserved it. And and obviously, you know, go, going back to that Cotton Bowl, they actually had not one a chance to get Alabama, but – that was a relatively more competitive game than we've a, a lot of teams that we've seen against Bama. Yeah, I mean, the, at the, in the third quarter, I remember sitting in the press box going, okay, like this might not be a big, you know, but then obviously it turned sideways. And then TCU, you know, that's, and you're right. Those teams can win in one-offs, right? Like you can, you can get lucky, you can get hot, you can play a good 60 minutes. If TCU would have had to won three games just to get to that title game, there is no way that would have happened. Like zero chance that would have happened. So, it's you're right. You're going to get the same teams. Yeah, you're going to get interesting quarterfinals, semi uh, quarterfinals, round of twelve matchups, and and that's great because you don't get good semifinal matchups by and large. At TCU, uh, Michigan was a good game. Oklahoma, Georgia back in the day was a good game. Ohio State, Georgia last year obviously was a good game too. But you, by and large, you get pretty crappy semifinals in the current system. You're going to have good uh, matchups in the round of twelve, the round of around to eight and then you're going to get to the semifinals and it's going to be the same teams, right? Like that's just the way it is because they're bigger, faster, stronger. And it's going to be easier for them to get there because the other teams are going to be worn down. The teams that are, you know, like TCU that doesn't have the depth, they're going to be worn down. So it's just um, for the big 12, it's going to be hard. You have to be in a situation where a team like TCU goes undefeated, does win a team like, you know, let's just say UCF does goes undefeated, does win the conference championship and earns itself a bye because it's just in, in the age of the big two. And you can, like you said, Clemson and Florida state kind of thrown in there as well. Right. The talent is not changing, right? Like the, the great players are not going elsewhere after all this realignment happens. And I would say they probably are going to gravitate towards more towards those teams. So it's, it's a different era. Um, and, and I think a lot of it's going to be driven by, by the big two, and then you know a, a couple couple teams here and there, like the Florida States and Clemsons of the world. Do you? So if I were to tell you, because I think the one thing the Big Twelve has that's fun, and actually this is the reason why Fox wanted them is because it was so competitive. And mm-hmm. you know, last year College Game Day went to the Big Twelve Championship game, and I mean, what an awesome game between Kansas State and yep. TCU decided at the goal line. And the last two Big Twelve Championship games have been decided literally at the goal line, which has been great. And the last three years, they've had six different teams in the championship game, which is great. Do you do you agree with the idea that the Big Twelve needs they need somebody to start repeating? They need to have their version of Oklahoma because I mentioned Clemson before. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, Clemsoning was like the joke with all, all everybody mm-hmm. in the country. Your date, you're, now you're making me feel old because that was when I was in my thirties. Right. So that was, yeah. But it's always growing up in Virginia was like Clemsoning. Just, just pick the game on the schedule. They're going to, it's going to happen. Usually it was a Florida state game. I feel like the Taj Boyd lost to Florida state 10 times in his career. It felt like, um, like, do you, do you think that's going to, ha- I mean, if they want to have any shot, they need to start not having the rotation anymore. It needs to be certain schools. And then if that's the case, what schools? Cause I, I tend to think it, it could be, you're talking down the line. 
UCF because where they're located and how big their alumni base is. Houston because of where they're located and you know I think it's a pretty decent spot to be in. Uh, Baylor and TCU because they're private schools who have a ton of money and also have had compared to the rest of the league, like Baylor, Baylor's won 10 plus games with three separate coaches in the last 15 years. That shows yeah. you can actually win there. TCU went to a championship game. Those would be my two current teams and two coming. And I actually think they could, if, if any teams were to do it. So do they need to have some consistent winners? And also if, if any team were to kind of break the mold, who would you think it could be? Yeah. I don't think they need consistent winners. They just need to have teams that are good enough to earn a buy, win a championship in the conference, earn a buy. Um, because that gives you at least a chance. You know, the, the depth is not going to be tested uh, in the way that TCUs would have been last year. Right. Uh, so I think that's really the only thing you need because, like, if you start getting conference champions the same one over and over again, yeah, you know, it, that's great for the teams that, like Oklahoma, where, uh, you know, it gets them into the playoff. But Oklahoma around these parts is a joke because they keep losing in the or they kept losing in the playoffs under Lincoln Riley. So, it doesn't really matter if you keep repeating. It's just a matter of whatever team catches lightning in a bottle, make sure it can it, it just look at where they are on the line of scrimmage. And that'll tell you how long they can go in the, in the playoff. But um, I don't, there's not really, I don't think a benefit for, you know, repeating a dynasty, so to speak in the big 12, because, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Oklahoma was that nobody cared. Right, nobody outside of the Big Twelve footprint really cared. Right. As far as the 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 teams that can evolve, uh, that can emerge, I think you're right about Baylor. I know I'm old enough to remember when Baylor was a complete disaster uh, on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, you know, the TCU I think is a good a good call, although I I just don't know how much from a recruiting standpoint they can capitalize off the championship game appearance. Um, it's going to be portal I heavy, right? I mean, I think I think going to have to be portal heavy. Portal class going to have to be portal heavy. I think UCF is the one to me. If you're looking at what the landscape of the Big Twelve will be five years from now, the team that might actually be that dynasty in the in the conference is UCF because, like you said, they're going to get the players. And I talked to Gus Malzahn three four weeks ago, and he's saying, "Hey, look, people are calling him to go to UCF." because of of the big 12 and because they get more they're more there's more visibility and because um you know they're they're going to get prepared at a reasonably high level for the nfl and at the same time ucf has become transfer u i think gus had like 21 transfers over the last couple right. of years so if you're going to be recruiting in that state have the ability to say power five and be a transfer destination for teams in the sec that have players that are really really good but can't play because they're blocked by somebody they're going to go to ucf and i think that will make ucf maybe potentially a dynasty i still think it's going to be you know it's it's going to be hard because of the traditional teams like tcu and baylor and obviously like you said houston and then byu is going to get those dudes at the line of scrimmage that have you know wives kids arp cards all that stuff consistent winner yeah yeah, I mean, it, it's still going to be difficult, but I think UCF in terms of, of how the dominoes are probably going to fall in terms of how college football just in general has, is, is evolving, it's going to be in a good spot in the Big 12. Not the SEC or, or Big 10. It would not right. be in the same situation, but in the Big 12 for sure. You can get, you can recruit Florida. You can get Florida kids who are in the SEC, but might not pan out. They can come back home. It's also a Florida team that gets to play in Texas multiple times a year, which I think is an advantage recruiting wise. Mm -hmm. And also Gus too. I, I mean, 
I think I, you and I have talked about some. I think he's a really good coach. I, he does some weird stuff sometimes in some games, but I generally <laughs> think he is like an awesome, awesome football coach. Um, lastly, on I'll ask you something about you know this coming season. What on field in the Big Twelve intrigues you the most this year? I mean, I hate to say it, but to me, it's Texas, just because you know we talk about like the really talented groups that that maybe you know that Tom Herman had. This is like an exceptionally talented group. I, I feel like yes, lost, you know, it's like an exceptionally talented. Like like this isn't. We've got you know, and I, God loves Sam Ellinger. I'm glad to see him doing well in the NFL. But like it was hard to take them seriously when they had a guy. They'd run him 30 times a game. He knew he'd be banged up and he couldn't really throw the football. I was like, okay, how how serious is this? They they've got legitimately first round first round guys in the offensive line. They've got crazy good weapons. They've got a guy that in times flashed first round talent as a quarterback last mm-hmm. year. And I think the defense, you know, it was at least at moments, very like really, really strong level defense, especially that TCU game last year. They had two busts, but the rest of the game they were awesome. The Oklahoma game, they were awesome. They had a bunch of really yep. strong defensive performances last year as well. This to me is is kind of the they have a chance to kiss the Big 12 goodbye and I think do it with a Big 12 championship. And it feels like a different level. It's not Texas bat like this is legitimate, legitimate high level talent on a different scale. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'd be shocked if they're not in the Big 12 championship game. That right. would be a disappointment because, I mean, the, the jump from year one to year two under Sark is you could see it. I mean, on the field, on the on the sidelines, everything. Like, you could see that there's a change. I, I think with uh, Texas is back, that sort of thing, they're moving to the SEC. Okay, one off this year, great. If they win it, fine. We'll see what happens in the SEC in a couple of years. But uh, I think – the Texas storyline is is there because, like you said, right off into the sunset, potentially with the Big 12 title, that'd be that, that's a big uh, storyline. But to me, it's on the other side, right? It's Oklahoma going to the SEC after a very yeah. average to below average year uh, in Brent Venable's first year. So does that change? You know, it might, but Brent Venables has only been a head coach for what fifteen months. We have to see it, right? So yeah. to me. Texas setting itself up to the SEC, great, fine. If they win the Big 12 championship, awesome. Oklahoma not setting it up, up uh, itself for the SEC, I think potentially is, is much more uh, interesting uh, and I think alarming for, sure, Oklahoma, but also Texas. If, if Oklahoma struggles going into the SEC, it's going to get beat up more. And Texas, even if Texas wins the Big 12, it's got to look around and go, oh, damn, this is a whole new world we're going into. So right. that part of it is is interesting too. The whole TCU repeating, uh, not repeating because the Big 12 champs because they didn't win the Big 12 championship, but you know, getting to the uh, cha- playoff or at least contending on the national scene, I guess that's there. But I, I just think that, and not to disparage what TCU did, but they lived by the skin of their teeth in the entire month of October, right? Like you and I would get on Sirius XM on Sunday morning and go, <laughs> I don't know how TCU fans handled this. It was so much I mean, fun, though. Oh it was wild. God. I mean, just the I mean, week after the week. fact oh. that they, the fact that they beat uh, Baylor on a t- on a scramble drill walk off field goal to me just still like that's just one of the iconic moments of the season. Fun. But oh so you know, yeah, maybe there's that. But I think by around the country anyway, my area like around the country, it's more like TCU was the flavor of the year in the Big Twelve. And, and not a dynasty and not somebody and not a team that can continue on that path. Uh, but maybe it happens. And if it does happen, great. But I think the Texas Oklahoma sort of dichotomy is, is interesting in their final year. Yeah. And they've, they have, you know, last couple of years have not been good for those two schools. Uh, and 
I think I think the frustrating thing was it, it feels it feels like Texas should win the Big Twelve this year, and if they did, mm-hmm. everybody would be like, "Yeah, they they should be moving on." You know, they shouldn't be in the league. When in reality, this league has been cycling teams in the championship game for the last three years. It's it's almost kind of a natural thing that they would be there and win it. But there's a chance. Yeah. I, I think the problem is though it would be like the Big Twelve is not as good. It's good they're leaving. <laughs> Which I don't yes, know. and SEC fans no, would no, absolutely no, we don't need that. that. Yeah. We don't need. The, the, the SEC fans would pat Texas on its head and be like, "Yeah, run along, good job. We'll see you in a, we'll see you in a year." Um, and then uh, so uh, last thing, get you out of here. Uh, if, if right now June eighth, are we uh, are we still? Is, is going to be a Georgia three P? Is that is that is that how we're going into the year? I would, if I had to pick right now, I'd say no. I think it's going to be Ohio State over Georgia in the in the title game uh, because I think Ohio State wide receiver room, running back room, offensive play calling room, just so so good. Georgia from an offensive play calling standpoint with Mike Bobo, going to be fine. Might take a little bit of a dip. I don't, you know, it's, it's whatever. They'll reload defensively. The new quarterback is is interesting, whether it's Vandegrift or Carson Beck. And they still are. I wouldn't say, uh, I wouldn't say bad in the wide receiver department, but it's basically now Dominic Lovett, your your boy from Missouri, and Lad McConkey, and still that's it. You know, Brock Bowers is tied in. They use the running backs as receivers out of the backfield a lot. There's just not a, the, the wide receiver room has been an issue at, at Georgia, and they worked themselves around it last year. But like you talked about earlier, the Georgia Ohio State game. I mean, it. Yeah, Georgia won. Ohio State could have won. Like it was, you know, they were basically equals. And I think Ohio State returns more, is more confident. Uh, and whereas Georgia, from an offensive perspective, made a little bit of a step back. In, in part because I don't think people really realized how how important Stetson Bennett was to that mix. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, Barrett, where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? CBSSports.com, the CBS Sports app, CBS Sports HQ, over the top, uh, sports news uh, like ESPN News used to be before they started yelling at each other. And then uh, Sirius XM on Sunday mornings where you used to be and we miss you. I miss you guys too. It is I, I miss my <laughs> Sunday mornings with this, the, the uh, eating our feelings, all those things. Uh, Barrett, appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks for having me.